Now let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, we only have 12 verses. You know what time I said I would end the second service, and I will end the second service at that time. I thank you for your kind attention for the service this morning, and I hope that I wasn't too much like a candy store owner running around pointing out different kinds of candy that are in the store without letting you taste each one of them. And I am bothered by the event of this morning, but all, all I can do is the best I can do. And there's a lot of effort in the outline that I hope will be helpful to you. And there's links in the outline to sermons that would be even more helpful. For instance, the verse 17 about being hardened from God's fear and God's control of the human heart is in the series on dominion. The Bible is very clear about who's in, who's in control of hearts, and I thank God he's in control of my heart so that I can pray with David, incline my heart away from covetousness and toward thy commandments. I can pray like David, make me. Right. Now that doesn't sound like David liked free will very much. He said, make me go in the way of thy precepts, because that's what I want God to do to me. I, I need him to do it to me. I'm a Gadarene by nature. So are you. You just don't get up and tell everyone. And so I want God to take me and use and just the way that this verse describes, but in a positive way, and direct us into righteousness. All of that was to say, let's see what we can do with these 12 verses in Isaiah 64. I want you to look at these and realize that with a lot of reading and a lot of work, 63 and 64 are separate from 60 through 62. I hope you saw 60 through 62 were very evident that they were the glorified state of the Jewish church when Messiah, the Spirit, the apostles, and all of it were in it. And the blessing there and the glory there was not the Messiah. The object of the glory was not the Messiah. The object of the glory was not the Spirit. The object of the glory was the church by way of those blessings from heaven. It was very clear. 51 occurrences of thee and thy in chapter 60? I, I, I can figure things out when the Lord shows me 51 times in a few verses. Honestly, it was very powerful, and I hope it was to you. And then once you see it, you start looking for it, and you see 60 and 62 together. 65 and 66 are different. Conversations totally, it's no, it's no prayer toward God in 65. It's the Lord speaking. And so we have these two chapters right in front of us. I'm not going to retrace any ground from 63. I gave enough about Edom over there, and we saw the powerful conqueror that was coming in the first six verses. We read about the kind care that God had for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt by Moses. Down through verse 14, we saw the beginning of the prayer. We saw the beginning of the prayer. Lord, where's your zeal? Where's your strength? Where's your bowels toward us? And so now we come to chapter 64, and the first three verses are the opening of the prayer, uh, the furtherance of the prayer, but the opening of the chapter. The opening of the chapter. Let me read the first three verses of chapter 64 to you. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. 
when thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down. The mountains flowed down at thy presence. Amen and amen. In prayer, you, tell, you, you can appeal to the Lord, which is verses 1 and 2, based on you know he's able to do what you asked in verses 1 and 2 because he did it in verse 3. In verse 3, they, the Israelites did not ask for God to come down on Mount Sinai. But let me tell you, he came down on Mount Sinai. It was altogether like a blast furnace, the Bible tells us. They were terrified of it, and the sound was terrible. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that even Moses exceedingly quaked in fear. How can you quake in fear after you've been through ten plagues in the Red Sea, the burning bush, and 40 years on the backside of the desert? How? Because it was significant. It got their attention, and you know they had signs up, posted. It, it signs up. No, no, in, no dining room, food service today, takeout only. No. It said, any kitty cat, dog, animal, beast that comes near this mountain is to be thrust through with darts. Right. It was a tremendous demonstration of the power of God on the nation that he had just brought out of Egypt. In addition to the Red Sea, in addition to ten plagues, it was Mount Sinai. And it was altogether an impressive event. Hebrews 12 describes it in the New Testament. Many descriptions in the old, they had to bathe, they had to have new clothes, they couldn't have had sex for three days because they were meeting the holy God, and he wanted them to meet him on his terms. But it was the demonstration of fire and power. Our God is a consuming fire. I'd read all of Deuteronomy 4 to you right now if I had the time. Deuteronomy 4 in the last, well, along with 10 or 20 other chapters, but Deuteronomy 4 has given me great pleasure in the last two weeks. It's the one that starts out in verses 6 through 8, that I've given you my statutes and my commandments, and if you'll do them, you will be the envy of all the neighboring nations because they're going to see two things. Wow, those people are really wise. They have an answer for everything. Two, their God is so close to them. That's what I want for this church that everyone that knows us can see in our lives. They have an answer for everything, and it always comes from the Bible. And God seems to be so close to them. They love Him in a way that I haven't seen before. That's what we want. And we have work to do. We want to press toward those goals even more. But after you get past that in the first, here I go, wanting to tell you about Deuteronomy 4 instead of Isaiah 64. After you get past that, it is beautiful. It is what other nation has ever had a demonstration like you had at Mount Sinai? You saw no similitude so that you couldn't build an idol. Oh, the Lord knows us. If he'd have come down in the form of something, they'd have built an idol in that form. He said, I didn't show you any similitude. I just showed you my fire because I am a consuming fire in my jealousy. Do not go after the other gods of Canaan. It's a beautiful chapter. Say, why did you chase Deuteronomy 4? Because of this fire right here. Hebrews 12 and verse 28 and 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. That is out of Deuteronomy 4 and verse 24. Our God is a consuming fire. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. The exclamation point is all the way at the end of verse 2 because I've got one long sentence, and so it should all be stated, verbalized, and spoken with an exclamation point on it. Oh, Lord. Rip the sky open. 
Heavenly Father, come to our rescue. Come down. Let the mountains flow down. Let the mountains melt. The mountains are the strongest, biggest things that you'll ever meet on earth. They're huge. Everest. You know, what, what do we have? Is, is it Paris Mountain here? It's not too big, but, you know, think of mountains that you've been to that are bigger than Paris Mountain. And just melting under the presence of God coming down on them because it appeared that Mount Sinai was melting under the presence of God coming down on it as the fire and the embers flew upward like a furnace, the Bible tells us. And see, this conqueror that came in the first six verses of chapter 63, it's in here, and it's, encouraged, it's in here sort of loosely between chapter 62 and 63, but it's part of 63, but that image of a conqueror with mighty power, mighty to save, I that speak in righteousness, I'll trample this winepress myself, I'll scatter their blood, I'll bring all their power down. Here, it's in the, it's in the form of fire. Instead of a conqueror, in a wine press, it's fire melting mountains. Verse 2, as when the melting fire burneth. You know, a fire that burns can melt ice into water and then turn the water into steam, which is mentioned next, in that it ca- the fire causeth the waters to boil, and it also can cause metal to melt. Because the refiner's fire is for metals, to melt them down so that the dross can be separated from the metal that you're seeking. To make thy name known. Here's why. Oh Lord, rip the sky open. Come down. Melt the mountains down. Show the pagans around us that, thy, that thy, you have a great name that they may tremble at thy presence. I love that kind of speech. I hope you love that kind of speech. Amen. That in the middle of this prayer, that is how they called on God to come down and to take care of the Babylonians and to deliver them. Remember, we know the setting and we know the timing from chapter 63 and verse 18. Our adversaries have trodden down thy sanctuary. That's the holy place. That's the temple of God. And then verses 10 through 12 at the end of chapter 64. Jerusalem's a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house has been burned up with fire. If they like fire and burns your house, are you motivated at all to come down and melt the mountains with your fire? I want you to get yourself a name. Listen, when you tell God you want him to get himself a name, you have hit a spot on the Lord that he loves because he loves his name. Why does the whole universe exist but for the glory of God and his name? There's no other being that can say, I am that I am. They have to say, I am what he created. I am what he sustains. I am what he's instructed. I am what he's corrected. No no other creature can even come close to our God. And so he's got a mighty name. And so if you invoke that in your prayer, and we've got some praying to do on Wednesday, and we want to invoke, Lord, this nation of all the nations of the earth is most known as worshiping the God of the Bible named the Lord Jehovah. Magnify yourself and get yourself a name. Bless our leaders. Get us out of this pandemic. Uphold President Trump. Put him back in office in November and let him bask in the knowledge of it before he even gets there. Don't make him campaign hard over the next several months. Bless Henry McMaster. Make him great. Be with him. Be with him in his bed. Speak. This is how I pray about him. Speak to him in his bed. Let him know that he's the man. Let him know that I am behind him. Let him know that you are behind him. 
Let him know that the people of this state appreciate him. Even if he doesn't feel appreciated, make him feel appreciated by your spirit in his bed. Raise him up, Lord. Come down. Melt the mountains and raise up these men. Protect them from their enemies. Give them wisdom and give them speech to be able to slice their opponents. <laughs> Watching President Trump at some of his afternoon press conferences, he's like a gladiator in the Coliseum, and they're feeding him lame lions. Oh, especially the New York Times. That's off track. The prayer request is in one and two. Three is, when thou didst things which we look not for. We didn't ask for you to come down on what you did on Sinai because it terrified us. Do you know what the conclusion to Sinai was of their terror? They said, Moses, we can't handle it. Tell God to stop, that you will go up there and get it from him directly, then you can come down and tell us. Do you know what it was like when, when Moses came down to tell them? His face was so bright, he had to put a veil over his face. It's also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the New Testament is better than the Old Testament, even though Moses had to put a veil over his face right. because the glory of the New Testament is better than the glory of the Old Testament. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3 is uh, it's up there in the top 40 or 400 <laughs> chapters in the Bible. It's a wonderful chapter. But when Moses came down, the presence of God was so powerful, so glorious, so holy, that his face was shining. They did not ask for any of that. that that's why they immediately said, Moses, tell the Lord we can't handle this. You go up. And the Lord drew from that and said, I have heard what you said, that you can't take dealing directly with God. So I'm going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses, and he's going to represent me to you and you to me. And do you know who that is? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's one of the prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Deuteronomy. Those three verses should be easy. So he moves on. What happened at Mount Sinai? There was more than fire. What happened at Mount Sinai? It was terrible. Verse 3 says it was terrible things. We didn't look for them. We didn't ask for them. We were terrified by them. Thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. A C word. What happened at Sinai? A covenant was made. I've made a covenant with your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of them, I'm making a covenant with you, and I'm going to give you the land of seven nations. You're going to cross the Jordan River and take out seven nations, and it's going to be your land. If you'll obey me, I will be your personal God, and I will give you things that blow your mind. It's Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, and other chapters long. Deuteronomy 28 is 68 verses long. The first 14 are, if you obey me, I'll do this. The next 54 verses are, if you disobey me, I will do these things. Made a covenant with them. Part of, that, part of the bad part of that covenant was, if you sin bad enough, and if you sin long enough, I will rip you out of this land and scatter you but I will not forget you. And if you will call on me and humble yourself, I will rescue you and bring you back to your land. That's helpful for us right now as we go to the second part of chapter, second lesson. Second lesson, it's verses 4 and 5. The reminder to God of his goodness to his people. It happened at Mount Sinai. Sinai had a lot of fire, but Sinai had a lot of promises. God's covenant. Verses 4 and 5. For since the beginning of the world, 
men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. If it wouldn't trouble you, I would love to share commentators on the fifth verse and have them tell you that it is absolutely impossible to be understood and it has absolutely no meaning at all as it is given in the Hebrew and English. Barn. I didn't mean to give that away. Honestly, are you a little troubled by the last part of verse 5? In those is continuance and we shall be saved. In what is continuance? It's not these, it's those. So it's a little farther away than a these would be. But we're going to get to it in just a second. Let's look at verse 4 first. From the foundation of the, from the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor have they seen the things that God has in store and prepared for those that wait for him, those that serve him, those that obey him. Paul would put it, those that love him. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul takes this. He embellishes a little bit by adding, neither has it entered into the heart of man. This is just the eyes and the ears. Paul makes it a little stronger. New Testament deserves it. And, and uses it in 1 Corinthians 2.9. But right here, this is Mount Sinai and the Old Covenant. Paul's using it for the benefits of the New Covenant. Totally different. He just took the principle no one has ever heard such things as God has in store for those that obey Him. And this is the Old Testament version of Paul had the New. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear the terms of the covenant that God made with them. If you go read it, was childbirth going to be easy? Were you going to be able to reproduce a lot of children in good health? Were you going to have good crops? Did you get every seventh year off? Did you get every 50th year off on top of the 49th year? Was there a year of release? Was there a year of jubilee? Did he explain all that? Were you supposed to take 10%? Listen, every young person in here that's still living under your father's roof, he said you had to spend 10% of your gross income on a family vacation. Does that sound good? 10%. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses around verse 26. The, the, the covenant that God made with them was tremendous. Their animals their animals would gender so easily. He would rain on them. He would protect them from the botch of Egypt. They weren't going to be scratching themselves. It just goes on and on and on with his blessings. Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor have they seen these kind of things that you've offered and promised to those that wait on you. Okay, that's it. Verse 5, here's the terms of the covenant. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Let us love the first half of this verse. Do you remember God in his ways? Do you love the God of the Bible and his ways? What he expects husbands to do, what he wants children to do toward their parents, what he wants wives to do, how he wants us to work on the job, manage our money, and worship him. Do you remember 
the God in his ways. Do you meet him? God meets him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Do you live a righteous life? And do you live the righteous life with joy? Does it excite you? Are you excited about living righteously? And do you remember the Lord and his ways? This is a, a short description in one third of a verse. One third of a verse. A short description of a righteous man. What does God do for such a man? Thou meetest him. He comes to him and grants him the terms of the covenant. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. What does your pastor want for this church this year, next year, or whatever year the Lord lets him live? This right here. I want you to rejoice in doing righteousness. I want you to be excited about doing things just the way the Bible says. I want you to remember him in his ways because I know the result. God will visit you, and if God is visiting part of our church, most of our church, or Lord have mercy, all of our church, what a church it can be. Amen. You should love these words. Amen. And they're based on the covenant that came out of the fiery Mount Sinai. And the Ble Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, read them. They're tremendous. No diseases? I will put on thee none of these diseases. I like that. That's COVID-19 protection. Thank you, Lord, for the protection so far. You know, if we've had anybody in our church that's had it, it's been asymptomatic because they haven't had symptoms. Or they've had them so mild, they haven't even thought that it might be the virus. Thank you, Lord, for all of that. Oh, there could be so much more said, but those two chapters will say it for me. If you'll go look at those two chapters. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Terms of the covenant on the good side. Behold. That colon right there is nearly as strong as a period in the English language. And there's a colon at the end of the second section. This verse has three parts that are very obvious. One, the terms for the righteous. Two, the terms for sinners. Behold, thou art wroth. Wroth is intense wrath. Wroth is, is intense anger. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. See, it's a violation of the covenant. We have sinned. Now, Isaiah is speaking of himself in the first person, the plural number, as if he's praying an intercessory prayer for the nation, just like Daniel. I told you, you would, if you read Daniel 9, if you read Daniel 9 and, and Isaiah 64, you can line them up in two columns. Not word for word, concept for concept. It's actually quite intriguing to read Daniel 9 and then to read this. Behold, instead of you meeting us, you're angry at us. Instead of you performing the positive, good promises of your covenant, you're wroth with us, and it's our fault. We have sinned. We have violated the terms of the covenant. In those is continuance. In all the terms of the covenant, there is continuance, and we shall be saved. Because notice, Isaiah is praying on behalf, prophetically, of the good figs in Babylon. For those of you that want to learn the Bible, are you with me right now? I am giving you light on a passage that the commentators say 
is utterly destroyed in the Hebrew and English and has no meaning whatsoever. It's full of meaning. And by the grace of God, I share it with you. There was a covenant on that Mount Sinai of the fire in verses 1, 2, and 3. The terms of that covenant are in verse 4. The positive terms were so great, they've never been heard before on earth of all parts of life being taken care of by God who can control all parts of life. That he would do that for his people if they would obey. Verse 5 has three parts to it. And the first part is the righteous man gets the benefit. Thou meetest him. You fulfill that covenant when we're obedient. And the, the middle part, you fulfill the covenant when we're disobedient by being wroth with us. And you ought to be wroth with us for turning to idols and just ignoring the benefits that you offered in your covenant and all the threats that were offered in verses 15 through 68, 54 verses long of terrible outcome if they disobey. We have sinned. Thou art wroth. Behold, the great contrast between those that obey your covenant and those that disobey. But your covenant is true, and in those is continuance. The terms of the covenant continue, and there is a term that is not stated here. And it is God's faithfulness toward his people, even when they sin. We shall be saved. And part of it is because they were repentant. Look at Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. What is he praying for? It tells us after his prayer is done, whilst I was confessing, whilst I was confessing, God sent the angel to him. He was making confession. Here's Isaiah. He's going to confess. He is confessing. He's asking God to come down and have mercy upon them. He's about to declare their national sins. But he is not declaring his personal sins, and Daniel wasn't declaring his personal sins. Both of them were praying as intercessors for the whole nation and the national problem and the national character. They were wicked and had accumulated several hundred years worth of sins, especially by very wicked kings like Manasseh. And Daniel and Isaiah as two, then there's Jeremiah and Ezekiel, have prayers not for their sins, but for the national problem. And if you really want to make it complicated, it's all in prophecy. Because it's still 150 years away. But there's Isaiah doing it. That's what it means. In those as continuance, the terms of the covenant stand. When we obey, you're there. When we disobey, you're angry. But we know that there's more than that. And so we're going to confess our sins to thee with total transparency. And we are going to dump and denigrate ourselves as wicked, a wicked generation of people. And not just a, gen a wicked nation of people. And so that leads us to the next section. But when you look at verse 5, you have the positive part of God's covenant in the first part, down to the first colon. Then the second one, thou art wroth with us because we've sinned. Then there's another colon, which is the third part, in those. It's not in these is continuance. In, in sinning is not continuance, and we shall be saved. Does that make sense to anybody here? In these, our sinning is continuing. No, it doesn't make sense. Do you understand these and those demonstrative pronouns? 
These is something real close at hand, like next door in your writing, and those is something that's been mentioned. Well, it's, it's the combination of four and five and two terms of the covenant that have already been given and a term that hasn't been given, and that is God's faithfulness to his covenant for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's sake, even when, remember the Romans eleven twenty eight verse, even in the New Testament? They're enemies of the gospel for the Gentiles' sake, but they're beloved in the election for the Father's sakes. And so... He's, he's doing a work on those people in Babylon. They weren't, we're about to read two terrible verses about the wickedness of the nation of Israel. The people in Babylon that were waiting to get out and come home and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple were not like that. This is an intercessory prayer for the national problem that, caught, that put them in there for 70 years because of the covenant of verse 4. Yes, I am crawling on my hands and knees up to every one of you and begging you to see it. They say the verse can't be understood. I love the verse just the way it is. And though, do you know what I'm thankful for? God's continuance in all the commitments he's made to me. Amen. Do you know what his commitments are to me? Give me a few more weeks when I can get out of Isaiah. For neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. And all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, amen. to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Pray for me that the Lord will keep the, the fire hot. I can't wait to get out of Isaiah. I've preached it the very best I know how, and I still am and I will through 66. I know that the new covenant is better, and the Lord's made me an able minister of the new covenant. Forgive that little. In those is continuance, the terms of God's covenant relationship and the terms of God's covenant relationship with one Jonathan Crosby is through one. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The terms of this covenant were for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. sake. God was very tender toward those people, even when they sinned, extending all the way into Romans 11. It's the third time I've mentioned it. I, I used it once in the first service, three times in this service, just to remind you. But let's, let's move on to these next two verses. This is, the, this is the confession of national sin. Zerubbabel was not, Zerubbabel was not a sinner like this. Ezra and Nehemiah were not sinners like this. Jehozadak the high priest was not a sinner like this. Daniel wasn't a sinner like this. Isaiah wasn't a sinner like this. But they're going to use the first person because they're going to dump out as an intercessor the sins of the nation that got them into Babylon because they know there is continuance in the terms of the covenant and that if they will get that out of their mouths, then God will deliver them, send Cyrus the Persian, release them, send them back, and they will be able to rebuild their city, which is how the chapter is going to end up. But first of all, they've got to dump how wicked the nation was. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you go read Daniel 9, Daniel was not guilty of those sins. Right. Daniel prayed three times a day every day, no matter what the cost. He told the truth every single time, even in chapter 1 when he was a teenager. So what was he praying like he did? You say, why, why are you beating this point? Here's why. Before I even read it, I learned Isaiah 64 and verse 6 when I was a single-digit child. 
and I have heard it misused so many times, and you have heard me try to correct it so many times, but now the Lord has led me providentially to where I actually get to read it to you, and I want to correct it again. Do not think in the terms of Isaiah 64, 6, or you're a reprobate. You're a Bible denier. No Bible person speaks that way. You can't speak that way because you're not an intercessor for a nation. Now, if you want to pray for America and pray that way, and those are America's sins, do it. Otherwise, you're a Bible denier. David didn't pray that way. Paul didn't pray that way. Paul said, I wasn't a whit behind the very chiefest of the apostles. We have had, and we still have a few members that err because of this verse. And I don't, you know, I, I've known it for 55 years by memory. And for someone to praise you or commend you for something that you did well, and for you to say, all my righteousnesses are as filthy rags, you, you are so far off base. You know what David would say? Amen, brother. Amen. Why don't you come up to my chariot and I'll show you my zeal for the Lord. And let's go do some more righteousness. If you read Psalm 18 last night, you know that it's there. You know that it's there so plainly that you can't get away from it. You know that Psalm 112, from beginning to end, verse 1 to verse 10, is all about the righteous man, the upright man. His righteousness endureth forever, and it doesn't have a thing to do with his legally imputed righteousness from Jesus Christ. It is his righteousness that will carry him right on into heaven. Just like it says in Isaiah 32 and verse 8, that the liberal shall stand. Just like it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that the rich, if they be willing to distribute and willing to communicate and ready to distribute, are laying up in store a great foundation for themselves against the time to come. That is personal righteousness, personal righteousness, personal righteousness. Do you think I'm undoing anything about the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Hold on for three weeks and let me get it of Isaiah. Or didn't you hear me from Romans chapter 8? Where is all my confidence? It's not in my righteousness. It's in the righteousness of the one of Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. But while we're at this verse, I want to teach you this verse. This verse is an intercessory prayer by Isaiah. It is not true about Isaiah. He knows it, and we should know it. It's not true about Daniel. They were righteous men. Very righteous men. They are confessing the sins of a rebellious nation stretching back 300 years. They refer to kings, plural, in Daniel's prayer, which tells you that he's referring to the reign of Manasseh and the reign of Ammon and the reign of Isaiah and the reign of Ahaz. He's referring to all those kings, the accumulated wrath, the accumulated sin that caused God to throw them into Babylon for 70 years by the terms of the covenant. In, in those is continuance, the terms of the covenant. Well, what are the terms of the covenant? If you are in another city and you will go open your windows and pray, and pray toward Jerusalem, which Daniel did three times a day his whole life, I will hear from heaven and I will come down and forgive that land. And so when Daniel prays the way he did in Daniel 9 and Isaiah prays the way he is right here, it's not about him personally. Do not use this verse personally. You are not, you are showing, you have a show of wisdom in will worship and false humility. David is the most humble man you'll want to meet. Paul is the most humble man you'll want to meet. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. David, God rewarded me according to my righteousness because he was righteous. Do you, do you hear the balance? The balance is 
David was righteous. And David knew God had rewarded him because he was a righteous man. Because what are the terms of the covenant? Or did you forget verse 4? I mean 5. 5, the first part. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Is it possible to work righteousness? In verse 5 it is. In verse 6 there isn't any. Why? Because he's confessing the sins of Manasseh. He's confessing all the child sacrifice of that nation. Verses 6 and 7. But we are all as an unclean thing. No, they weren't. Daniel wasn't. Isaiah wasn't. Can somebody do righteousness in verse 5? Does verse 6 mean that verse 5 isn't true? I want you to be humble as God wants you to be humble. But I don't want you to have a show of wisdom and will worship and humility that isn't God's humility. David, David was humble. David cut the head off Goliath when that whole nation was a bunch of terrified sissies. He came to Saul and, and Saul said to Abner, who is this stripling? I'm just the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, your servant. I want to give you my daughter to wife. I can't marry your daughter. I ain't worth your daughter. I'm scum. I don't know why people dislike Psalm 18. I don't know why they want to fly against it and say that it's wrong to talk about your righteousness that way. David didn't. He's as humble as they ever came. Paul bragged that he was better than the other apostles. Don't you think he'd show a little bit of deference to Peter, James, and John, the favorite three, the triumvirate of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, nope, not Paul, because he knew he outworked them all. So he went ahead and said it, but he gave credit to the grace of God. I don't want us to be in either ditch. I just want us to be in the crown of the road. Right. All the glories to him, but we ought to be righteous, and we ought to know that God rewards the righteous, and that we can lay up and store a good foundation against the time to come for, our, for the comfort and assurance of our own souls. And you know that in verse 5 they can do righteousness, and verse 6 can't undo verse 5. They both have to fit together some way. And the way is, it's a confession of national problem that put them... They weren't in Babylon because of Daniel. They weren't in Babylon because of Isaiah. They were in Babylon because of Manasseh. Well, how do we get over that? We make a confession of the national sins that our fathers were wicked. How many times does Daniel say our fathers? Our fathers and we. We and our fathers. Our fathers and we. Okay, I hope I've said enough on that. You know, now I'm down to two minutes. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Taken us away from where? Away from Judah and into Babylon. And there is none that calleth upon thy name. What are they doing right here in this chapter? Calling upon his name. Do you, do you see it? There is none that call. Who didn't call up? Manasseh didn't. And others like him. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. But Daniel was. Isaiah was, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. What iniquities? The national iniquities of 300 years to put them into Babylon. But now, Lord, okay, I'm through. I hope that I said enough. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever, because in these is continuance. God will remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because they're repenting, behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. Listen to the appeal. 
Our nation has sinned like verses 6 and 7 describe. We know your covenant is fair. It's better than fair. It's the most fantastic thing ever given to men, not seen or heard by anybody else, verses 3 through 5. And here we are in verses 8 and 9. We are calling upon thee. We are unlike those in verses 6 and 7. We have turned our face toward Jerusalem. Will you have mercy upon us? You're our potter. You're our father. Redeem us. Forgive us. We are all the work of thy hand. Don't be too angry with us because of what they did. Don't remember their sins forever. We beseech thee, we are thy people. That's simple enough. That was an appeal on a relationship. Blessed God, O oh Lord, you're our Father. We're your people. An appeal to relationship. Next three verses, appeal to worship. Thy holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house where our fathers praise thee is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? Are you going to keep punishing us? And not let us get back there where we can worship thee. And so ends a prayer. An appeal to relationship. An appeal to worship. Before that, an appeal to covenant. The covenant relationship in those is continuance. The terms of the covenant. And so they were fulfilling the covenant by dumping the load of 300 years worth of sins. So that they can then say, we've done it. Will you look at us and remember us again as your children? And if our relationship isn't enough, how about your worship out of Jerusalem? In Isaiah 38, we had the third account of Hezekiah being told he was going to die. And in Isaiah 38, we get his prayer. And he tell, we learn how he appealed with God. Do you remember? The grave cannot, a P word, praise thee. A C word. The grave cannot celebrate thee. If you'll give me some more years, I will praise you. And the father to the children will teach thy truth. That's how we reason with the Lord. A practical aspect of this chapter. I hope you never forget Isaiah 64. I'm sorry that I pounded six so hard. God knows I want each one of you of either sex of any age to be like David because David was God's favorite. Psalm 18 tells us how to be like David. Psalm 64 tells us how to pray like an intercessor. And if somebody wants to practice Isaiah 64 and verse 6 as close to it as we can, not being under that same Abrahamic covenant, they can come on Wednesday night and confess the sins of this nation, though they're not guilty of them, like the nation is. If any of you have any questions about it, please ask me. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.